Um, today we want to talk about uh, this idea of comeback, in, we're, and we're still in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33, we'll start at verse 4. And, you know, I, I just, for some reason, I can't get out of the book of Jeremiah. You know, whether you feel like it's like we're dragging a dead horse through a field, like just get out of the book already, you know, stop preaching on Jeremiah. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't interpret it that way. It's not like I'm dragging a dead horse. I feel like I'm an archaeologist, you know, like with a fine brush, and you're just going over that spot, and you're trying to unearth something. You're trying to get a clearer picture of what's underneath the surface here, okay? And so I want to change the paradigm for you, okay? It's not a dead horse. We're an archaeologist right now. We're, we're, we're just sifting through and just mapping out the ground and saying something precious is underneath here and we need to get it. We need to get it. Okay, and so hopefully that's how you think about this book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33, starting at verse 4. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses... Um, of the kings of Judah, which are broken down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword, while they are coming to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the corpses of men whom I have slain in my anger and in my wrath, and I have hidden my face from this city because of all their wickedness. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing. And I will heal them. I will reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth, and I will restore the fortunes of Judah." And the fortunes of Israel. And I will rebuild them as they were at first, and I will cleanse them from all their iniquity uh, from which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me, and by which they have transgressed against me, and it shall be to me a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear of all the good that I do for them, and they shall fear. And tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make for it. Thus says the Lord, Yet again there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is a waste without man, without beast, that is in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy. That's the voice they're going to hear again that they shall hear the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of those who say, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting, and of those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, There shall again be in this place, which is waste, without man or beast, and in all its cities, a habitation of shepherds who rest their flocks, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev, in the, city, in the land of Benjamin, in the environs of Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, the flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who numbers them says the Lord. I'm going to stop there. We'll pick up a few of those verses at the end of the message. This, uh, this conversation that God is having with Jeremiah, as we've been kind of reading and, and looking into over the past weeks and more than a month now, um, is something that, again, is powerful. Um, I hope you get 
what's happening here, this long-term picture, this story that God is writing in the lives of His people, uh, this misunderstanding of God, of this desire to deliverance from exile in Babylon and wanting to come home and everybody's saying that Jeremiah the lone voice saying no it's going to be long. This is the story we've been talking about and in this message the comeback um, I, I, I want to highlight something that is so important to understand about how God deals with us. Okay. If you've been Christian a long time or a short time get to know this idea that how God deals and works in history, this idea of, of comeback is essential. It seems to pop up time and time again in Scripture, and if you've served God long enough, you've experienced this most likely, right? This idea of comeback, uh, don't we all love the comeback story? <laughs> I mean, think about any great movie in history. Right? Doesn't it have a comeback? I mean, think about the classic ones like Rocky, right? You got the Italian stallion, the no-name boxer in, 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 in New York, right? And, you know, there's this, this given a charity fight, you know, it's more of a, a promotional thing if you've watched the, 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 the first installment of, of Rocky. And he ends up losing that fight to Apollo Creed at the end of the first movie. And how the, the, the movies progress is just the rise of that Italian stallion, you know. He's given facilities that are subpar, but somehow he jogs through, uh, actually it was not New York, Philadelphia, right? And, uh, um, sorry, I was thinking something else. And he's jogging through the cities, he's punching like meat in freezers, and he's just doing this. And we love that story, the underdog, right? And think about like reality shows. America's Got Talent, you know how they highlight, you know, the backstory of these people that are auditioning for this show. And, you know, they're like down and out, nobody believed in me, I was bullied in school, and you know, they, they really highlight that and say, sing this for the bullies, you know. And they come out like pipes blazing, and we're just like, everyone's like, oh. You know, they're on their feet and they're standing. Because it's not just the performance that they're applauding. They're applauding the comeback, right? Have you ever rooted for a team that wasn't supposed to win, right? You know, that, that makes headlines. Because it's that story of not winning, of losing, of not being supposed to win, and somehow rising against the odds in the midst of the ashes and singing a song that everyone could admire, but playing a game that is above your level of ability. It is about succeeding and winning a title or championship when you were written off. This is the comeback, right? And somehow God, in how He deals with His people in human history, there is this theme of a comeback that just pops up time and time again. Jeremiah is no exception, you know. How God is dealing with Israel in this season of hardship, of desolation. We're talking about a time when you did not want to be an Israelite. We're talking about a time where you did not want to be called a child of God. This is the season that Jeremiah is prophesying in. You know, we're talking about this is not like roses and meadows here. We're talking hardship. We're talking exile, captivity, bondage. We're talking about being removed from your home, separated from your families. We're talking about death that is unjust, right? 
And Jeremiah is speaking a message that is so opposed to what people want to hear. People want to hear about healing. People want to hear about restoration. People want to hear about, I'm going back home now. But Jeremiah is saying, no, you're not going back. Your grandchildren are going back. Seven years you'll be here, right? Seven decades this is going to last. And yet God still gives hope through the mouth of Jeremiah. And he's speaking to him. This is what I'm saying to you, to Jeremy. You know, this is what I want you to say. There is going to be desolation. Everyone is going to say this is a wasteland. <laughs> this is the reputation that will garner here in this homeland of yours. It is a waste. There's no man, no beast, no inhabitant. It is utterly destroyed. There's nothing worthwhile in this place. That's the reputation of this land. That's what it's going to be about. That's what people are going to say. But I want you to know that of this place, that people are saying it is desolate, a wasteland, no man or beast or inhabitant, there will be a voice again heard, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of, uh, uh, of that person that will just sing for joy. And I want you to know that I will bring you back and bring health and healing and something's going to change. There's going to be a comeback. But as I talk about comeback, I think it's important to highlight this first point. There is no comeback without first having desolation. All right? Unless you have the reputation that you shouldn't win, there really is no story. Right? I mean, for those of you who like basketball, if the Golden State Warriors win the championship this next year, I mean, okay. Uh, it doesn't really turn any shoulders, right? It doesn't do that. But if the New York Knicks win, it's like, wait a minute. Like, what happened here? Like, they were in the middle of dysfunction, losing all of their superstars, and somehow they're contending in the playoffs. It's a headline. It's a story. And you, go, you think about small market teams, right, in any major sports. It's like, how do they do that, right? And so you need to first have desolation. This is the prerequisite to the comeback, right? And this is the part that we don't like, right? I mean, we like that comeback story. You know, we like the guy on stage saying, you know, I was abused or I was bullied and, you know, I'm singing this, you know, for my, my family that was down and out or uh, my, my mom who passed away or something that I lost. And we applaud that. We're like, yes, that took courage to get on the stage and to sing for all of these thousands of people and to do it so lovely. But that person who's standing on the stage, who had to live the previous five years in the midst of that desolation, that's the hard part, right? That's the hard part. We like the part that spotlights now, like coming back and like shining in all of its glory. But when you're living in the years of hardship, when you had to deal with the tremendous loss and hurt of whatever they had to go through, that's the hard part. We love the comeback, but we don't like the desolation. But it's impossible to have that without this. But what we must see, this setting, you know, wasteland, no man or beast, streets are just empty, no one's living there, right? The desolation for God is not the end game, right? Like, that's not his point of what he wants to do. He's like, you know, I want to just destroy my people, right? The end game for God is the restoration. Right? And a part of that restoration is giving them a season of desolation. Because it's in those seasons where we really like, understand who we are in Him. 
you know. It's when all of the fluff is stripped away and you're just left with the bare bones, the essence of it all. This is who I am, you know. You know, without the titles or money or, or the people around me, this is who I am. And it takes desolation at times to strip all of that else, other stuff away and to come bare before God and say, Lord, like, this, this is it. And it's in that space where, where God says, ha, this is exactly where I want you. You know, I, I wanted to strip all of the other peripherals away to get you here to this place, bare and naked before me and understanding this relationship that we have, right? And so he brings Israel to a place of desolation because why? They had all of this stuff, the fluff, the sin, the wickedness that they were just engulfed in. It was all wrapping around them. And God is saying, I want to take that away. I want to get rid of all of the excess and I want to bring it back to a place of purity. And I'm going to do it by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. I will do it by Babylon and they will take you captive. You will know what it means to be separated from your loved ones and families and businesses. You will know what it means to be ripped out of the town and this promised land that I gave you by promise for generations. And you will value this because you know what? It seemed to have been clouded for a second. You know, you were singing for joy when I freed you out of slavery in Egypt. And when I gave you this land, there was worship in the land. When this temple was built, there was worship here. But somehow these idols have crept into your mantles and households and families of worship. And somehow you've forgotten this land of promise. Somehow you've forgotten the purity, the relationship that I want with you. And I want to bring you back there. And if I need to rip it all away from you to show you its value, to know that you really need it and want it, I'll do that. And I'll take you out of these streets and I'll bring you to foreign ones. I'll put you under foreign masters who will think unjustly of you and treat you harshly. But no, that's not my end game. It's not because I want hardship to come over you. I want to strip it away. I want all of that to come off for a second. And when you are at the place naked and you can't hide behind anything, and it'll take some decades, I'll bring you back. And I want you to know it's the comeback that I see. I want you to know bringing you back here to health and wholeness is what I see. That's my purpose. It's this comeback. God says in verse 8, right? I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to pardon you. And those are two very different things, right? Cleansing and pardoning. Cleansing is internal. Pardoning is external, right? A cleansing is God saying, I'm going to cleanse your, your inward being, who you are. A pardoning is just, I will reinstate you in, in right position amongst the other people. I will give you the proper reputation again, right? That's to the outside world. Right? But before God does the pardoning to the outside world, He does the cleansing to the inward side. Right? I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to purify some stuff on the inside. I'm going to set the priorities straight. And once I've done that, I'm going to pardon you. Don't worry. All of the wickedness that you've done before me, I'm, I'm, I'll write that off. I'll forgive that. I'll cleanse that and pardon that. Because I'm going to bring you back. And this is what He's doing here, right? We need both. We need the cleansing and the pardoning. But from our passage today, there really is just one main takeaway that I just want seared into your, your life and heart and faith today. And it's three words. 
there shall again. I, I just want that phrase to dwell with you today. I, I want it to sit deep inside of you. What does that mean? There shall again. Right? Like in verse 12, the Lord says, There shall again be in this place which is waste, without man or beast, and in its cities a habitation of shepherds who rest their flocks. Like no one was here and no one wanted to be here. It's desolate. But as I look at this land, I see what it's going to look like in years to come. And there shall again walk these dirt roads, shepherds with their flocks. There shall again be men and women singing in these streets. There shall again be people given in marriage. There shall again be families that are thriving. There shall again be commerce and marketplace activity in this place. There shall again be real estate being sold and bought. There shall again be a reputation that is restored. People wanted to leave this place, but there will be a day when the name is changed and people are going to want to come back. And that's what he said, there shall again. And I love that because that's such a great storyteller phrase, you know. And God, I believe, is the greatest storyteller. You know, I believe we love the comeback because God loves the comeback, you know, and we're created in His image, you know. I mean, think, I love watching comebacks. I just love it, right? Whether it's an limping person just going at the last leg around a track. Whether it's an animal that should have died but somehow learns how to thrive in, in, in the wild again. It does not matter whether human or beast. And you think and see a, of a comeback. You're like, wow, that is awesome. That's the heart of God, right? That is, that is restoration. That is repentance and reviving once again. This is what God does. And He is such a great storyteller. And how he's orchestrating the life of Israel. How he sees them right from its inception, from their forefathers. How they went from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how they built the temple, not David, but then Solomon. And how it went forward and all the kings in succession, whether they obeyed or disobeyed. And all of these things that God is doing in the lives of his children. And then he sends them off into exile and he brings them back. Right? And this great story doesn't end in Jeremiah. Right? It continued to go on century after century till the day that we lived here and, now, here and now. God is still writing a story in history. And we are included in that when we say we are His people. Right? And so I think this teaches us to think always bigger picture. To see God in His proper light. To know that as He looks at us, it is not just season by season or moment by moment and He's just wrapped in there. But He sees us in this grander scope. And He says to Jeremiah, this is what I want you to tell my people, there shall again, there shall again. Right? Truth be told, there are no unturnable dead ends with God. Right? I mean, 
like we've done this before, right? We've written something off. Like, ah, there's just no hope. Let's just write it off. Let's just cut our losses here. There's no hope for that one. <laughs> Whether it be a thing, a person, a cause, our company, our job, a relationship. We've, like, there's no hope for that, right? No hope. And we've all felt that, right? We've all experienced of, uh, what that means. But truth be told, there is nothing there is no dead end that is unturnable for God. Right? And so I think it begs the question, what vision or person have I written off? What hopeless situation do I feel like I'm in? What hopelessness do I see in others? Right? That we ought not write things off so quickly, especially if we believe God is in the picture. Because there's a grander story involved. There, there's a storyline line that's higher than our perception, right? Have you ever been a part of, like, watched a movie? And, like, the greatest, like, screenplay writers or, like, people who direct movies and stuff, don't you love it when, like, you're completely shocked at the end of a movie? Like, I love that. Like, you know, like, The Usual Suspects or whatever it is. You know, it's like, you're like, man, I did not expect his leg to straighten out walking at the end of that movie. It was like, blow me away, crazy. I will watch every single one of your movies. You know, like that, right? It's just like my, 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 my pay grade, you know, for interpreting movie lines, storylines. You know, it's like God's level of writing storyline is much higher than ours. You know, we're like in that moment, like, oh, wow. And we're like, wow, 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 wow. And it's like God does stuff. And it's like, you know, I saw this all along, you know, right from the beginning. This is what I had in mind. Right. So let's not write things off so quickly. Because there shall again, there shall again. If you go back to Jeremiah 33, I, I want to finish off with a cluster of verses, starting from verse 14. Because this is the greatest comeback. We're talking about what God is saying to Jeremiah in these next few verses here. We're talking about like epic proportions, human history-wise. And so God is speaking to Jeremiah, and He takes the time in this moment in juncture in history to look forward a few centuries. Okay? He looks forward and he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. In verse 14, When I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David so he's harking back to King David, speaking of a promise he made him that he would not lack a man to sit on the throne forever. Of course, looking forward to the Christ and Messiah. right? That in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And in those days, Judah shall be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety and in the name by which she shall be called. The Lord is our righteous. For thus says the Lord, 
David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. God is looking forward to the time of the Messiah in this moment as He speaks to Jeremiah. And He's saying the ultimate purpose of what I want to do is I want there to be sacrifice continually before me. I want to expand my people. I want there to be a moment where this is just broken, like the walls are torn down and it is no longer just about Israel and it will be a spiritual people. This is what Jesus did, right? It is no longer but the lineage there that is just natural in that Jewish lineage of David uh, to Jesus. But breaking out of that now with Jesus, a spiritual seed now being just going to the ends of the earth. We can't count the number of sand on these seashores. We can't count the number of stars in the sky. These are the number of God's people. This was the promise to Abraham and it was fulfilled in Jesus. And God is saying, the purpose of what I'm doing of finding my people is I'm preparing them for a Messiah because what I want is a church and a body that is so much bigger and grander than anything you can imagine. When Jeremiah heard this, he wasn't thinking necessarily what we understand as the church today, right? And so he's giving him glimmers of this right now, but he's speaking to Jeremiah in this limited way. And as we see it in hindsight, we know the grand perspective of God. God's bringing and cultivating a people that will just be so numerous and a people that will worship Him continually. And this is the greatest comeback because He's looking to the cross here. He's looking to Calvary and like, it's not Good Friday, right? But if you think about that message of Calvary, that's the greatest comeback. I mean, Jesus' meteoric rise to stardom, right? His magnetic personality and voice. The jealousy of His contemporaries. The betrayal of one close. The preparation. The unjust accusation. The arrest. The humiliation. Yet still a person with grace and strength. Ultimately leading to the death. The burial. The tears and the scattering. The shattering. The fateful visit. the empty grave, the run back home, the heralding of good news, the walk down a road, the burning of hearts once again, the last moment, the ascension, the commission, the church. This is the greatest comeback. I mean, you can't write a story better than that. There is no story ever told that is greater than that. And it's not a fable 
or a fictional narrative. We're talking about something that happened in history and God was at the center of it all saying, this is how I want it to be written. The cross was not plan B, right? That as I see the will that I've given to my people and how I see them from Adam then to the final stamp of revelation and the central place of the cross, this is what I had in mind. And this is how God writes a story. So let's turn it inward again to our lives. The company, the person, the relationship, the effort. There's going to be a dip, guaranteed. Right. Now, not everything is something that we need to fight tooth and, tail, uh, a tooth and nail for. But there are things that we should not give up on. And so I free you to examine what those might be. And so as praise team comes back, I'll leave you with one last thing. that God can change your name. Verse 9, And it shall be to me a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, God says. Like everyone is calling Israel a name, like, and it is not a good name, right? And He's saying to them, I'm going to change them. It's going to be to me a name of joy, of praise, and glory once again. And so I want us to know today as we close, that God has the power to change that reputation, that name, and to bring something about that is truly magnificent and glorious, truly joy and awe-inspiring. Let us believe in His power that does that. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen.